You're listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. And we're, we're going to be in the book of Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And we are in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. No, Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, excuse me. Uh, Mark, man, I'm already stumbling my words up here. The book of Mark. The book of Mark, excuse me, chapter 1, starting in verse 6. If you're there, say, I'm there. I'm there. Uh, I'll give you another second. This month we're studying the Holy Spirit, and I'm really, really excited to be talking about who the Holy Spirit is, and we're going to talk about, I'll I'll tell you kind of a description of what this month's going to be like in a minute. But I want to open up with this verse in Mark, chapter 1, starting in verse 6. And it talks about John the Baptist. It's, first of all, it says some weird things about him, but it's going to get to a point in a second. It says, John wore clothing made of camel's hair, but he was pretty cool, like a leather jacket. Is that camel hair? Yeah, it is. He had a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And uh, kind of an outsider of a guy. And this was his message. He said this, After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. He said, I will baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Let's pray. Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, we invite you to show us who you are this morning. Holy Spirit, would you break anything that is not of you? Would you break any misconceptions that we may have of you so that we can come into a fuller understanding of who you are, Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, we love you. We praise you. We thank you that you do live inside of us. You dwell inside of us. Make yourself known to our hearts and to our minds this morning. We are ready. We are willing to receive you. We love you so much. And everybody screamed. Amen. Amen. Man, everybody's happy. Did you see some fireworks last night or something? It was good. I did. Um, I got my undergraduate degree in uh, biology, and so I learned a lot of cool things about plants and animals and uh, funguses and algae and cool stuff like that. And uh, now that I'm a pastor, I'm like, man, I'm glad I got that biology degree. <laughs> but uh, in some senses, I honestly, it's a joke, but I, I really am because I, I learned some really cool things. And one of my favorite subjects when I was studying biology is the study of birds, ornithology. I loved birds. Uh, I was fascinated by them. And there's so many types of birds. And uh, one particular type of bird really, really fascinated me. And that was the dove. Uh, the dove, the pigeon, same, uh, same bird, different name. There's actually hundreds of species of uh, different types of doves. Um, and uh, what's amazing about a dove is that it's got like a homing device. Many birds have this for migration. They, they can come back to the same spot every year. For doves, they live in like a little nest. They live in a coop, and they, they live there pretty much their whole life. And if they, you know, they're flying around getting food, they know which way is home. They don't get lost. Wouldn't that be sweet? It's like a little GPS inside a little bird's head. They, they don't get lost. In fact, listen to this. You can take a dove. Let's say there's a little dove coop outside your house. It just... Imagine. <laughs> you go get that dove, 
you put the dove in a box nicely. You know, you put some, I don't know how you'd ship a dove, but you put a dove in a box, tape it up, bring it to UPS, overnight it to a friend a thousand miles away, maybe in Seattle. Seattle's about a thousand miles away from here. Your friend in Seattle gets that box the next day. He opens it, or he doesn't open it yet. He just shakes a little bit, bird's still alive. He takes it outside, he gently turns it, maybe like 10 times, like pin the tail on the donkey, try to confuse the bird one last time. It's been in a box, black box this whole time. And then he brings it outside after spinning it, opens it up, the bird flies off, leaves. You know what's fascinating? That bird will get back to the coop at your house. Round of applause for doves. It's, it's amazing. And, and, and here, I brought my ornithology book. This is the book I used back in college. And so you can come up and look at this later if you're as fascinated as me about it. But if you read the, the chapter on the homing device of pigeons, doves, uh, it'll say things like, scientists believe that they have a compass, some sort of uh, directional thing in their head. Scientists believe. They're not sure. They're pretty sure that there's like a compass in their head. But even that doesn't really explain like, okay, they're in Seattle, but they don't know they're in Seattle and they've just been turned around. Even if they know which way is north, which they don't know where they are, or where home is. How is a compass going to help them? And so then like there's fur- further theories about well, maybe scientists believe that uh, maybe the bird can smell its way home um, by, by different regions of the country smell differently. Or um, scientists believe that maybe there's, they're, they're hearing subsonic earth noises and they could kind of listen and fine-tune their way back home and position themselves. They're not really sure. We've landed a man on the moon. We've put a land rover on Mars. And we're really not sure how a pigeon gets home. Uh, we're just not sure. And... Um, <clears throat> The ancient world knew about this little trick that birds can, uh, the, the, a pigeon, a dove, could find its way back home. And so, for instance, ancient Egyptians, ancient Persians, way back in the day, um, there, there are stories of people, like men, taking a pigeon. Like maybe they have a bird coop, a, a dove coop outside their house. They'll take a, a dove, maybe as if they're a traveler, they'd, they'd go and uh, travel or trade, whatever, or off to war. They, they might take a, a dove with them. And then at some point, if they wanted to remind their family, maybe remind their wife of, I'm still thinking about you. I'm okay. I love you. Some, someday I'm going to come home. I'm missing you. I'm thinking about you. They would release the dove, and the dove would make its way back home. Amazing. And then can you imagine the, the happiness of the wife looking up as a, as a dove's descending back? Oh, is that the dove? Is that, is that the one? And it goes like right back in the coop. Yeah, it is. I remember the black spot right there. That's the dove. My husband's thinking of me. He loves me. He's, he's far away, but he's coming back sometime. And he's, he cares about me. He's thinking about me. And so isn't that kind of a cool image that the bird, this dove, was used as a messenger even way back in the day? Pretty cool. I've only seen doves released one time in my life. And uh, it was pretty sad. It was at a funeral. And so it was a very sad circumstances. It was... Um, the funeral, just not too long ago, you guys know Aaron Stern and, and Jossie. Aaron Stern's our, our main mill pastor. He's been on sabbatical. But uh, about a year ago or so, they lost a baby girl. They, the baby Bergen, they named her. It was born, stillborn. And they had a funeral for this little baby coffin, little baby hole in the ground. And it was extremely sad. It was very, very sad. And Aaron talked about how he will miss not walking her down the aisle someday. And it's just serious, you know, very solemn. And at the end of that very solemn day, obviously, 
uh, at the end of that funeral service, they had this little cage and it had two doves in it. And the, Aaron has two boys, uh, three boys actually now, fourth's on the way. And uh, he, there's two little boys, Parker and Cohen, got to unhook the little dove cage and open it up. The doves flew, there's two of them, they flew off. And that, that idea of the releasing of doves you know, comes, goes back to ancient times when you would release a dove and knowing that it would go back home delivering a message, I'm okay, I'm still alive, I care about you, I'm thinking about you. And I think in the midst of that symbol of releasing doves, the, the baby that, that died was saying, I'm, I'm still alive. At least we're celebrating in, in heaven. You know, she's still alive. We're going to be reunited. She's okay. Everything's going to be okay. And that symbol. And, and what I see in this passage, to kind of give you a context of, of the dove, and there's, there's other explanations of why or what the dove could have represented. But in the ancient world, a dove was a messenger. It's way before cell phones. Uh, way before uh, even a care, like a postal system, way before that, doves were used as somewhat of a messenger, a very simple message, just that the bird came back would mean, you're doing good, you're okay, here's a message. And, and what I see in this passage of the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove is like, wow, the, the doves come back. I don't know where, where, you know, you can think about it this way, I don't know where God has been, but he's back, he's telling us. He's here. He loves us. It's going to be okay. We're going to be reunited. And the voice of the Holy Spirit says, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And uh, I just think that image, that ancient image of the dove is just so spectacular, really, that it's saying it's, it's this image of the dove being uh, delivered back to us. And, and the Holy Spirit saying, This is Jesus, giving edification, giving a message, a spirit of truth, saying, This is Jesus. This is my son, whom I love, in him I'm well pleased. And so that's the message, that's the deliverer of the message that Jesus is Lord by the Holy Spirit. Pretty cool analogy, I think. Yeah. Anyways, this month we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and uh, clear up maybe a lot of confusion about who the Holy Spirit is. That's today. Uh, Next week we're going to dive into this issue of what is the charismatic movement? What do charismatics believe? By the way, New Life Church is charismatic, if you didn't know that. We are charismatic. And we're going to explain our beliefs as charismatics and then compare it to maybe non-charismatic churches. Um, maybe you've been, maybe you come from a charismatic church. Maybe you still consider yourself non-charismatic, and that's okay. We're going to explain the difference. And I, in a very respectful way, I'm going to talk about churches that I know I've gone to that didn't believe in the charismatic gifts, but they're still really, really good churches. They love Jesus. There's fruit. They, they believe, you know, I, I would say, go to that church. It's an awesome church. But they don't believe in the charismatic gifts are for today, like we do. And so I'm going to explain that. So that's next week. And so if you have, if you know friends and people that want to come and hear about the charismatic stuff, next week would be a very good introduction to that kind of thing. And then, so today, who the Holy Spirit is, next week, charismatic movement. The week after that, the third week, I'm going to spend an entire session just on the gift of tongues. Because tongues is the, is the big hang-up. It's like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard of. The gift of tongues. And so I'm going to take a whole Sunday, about an hour, and talk about solely about the gift of tongues. What is it? What's the Greek words? What, what's the uh, examples in the Bible of where tongues is used? Um, what's it all about? And so that is a little, little heads up for this month to come. Sound good? 
Okay, hopefully, hopefully it's good. Uh, not just good, but good enough. Um, uh, I think we only have one announcement today, and that is if you're newish uh, to, to the Mill Sunday School, on your table are little white uh, cards that says first-timer card. If you fill that out, give it to the nice people in the back. I believe they'll give you a CD of, uh, like a, of some of our worship songs and a sermon from a Friday night at the Mill. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. Hopefully you got some free coffee and stuff before the er, people that come early ate it all up. Anyways, let's, if, you, if you got your notes, we, ha, we hand out skillets at the door. If you have your notes, open them up. The first point on there is who is the Holy Spirit? And that is not to be con- confused with the question, what is the Holy Spirit? We're asking who the Holy Spirit is. It's like asking, what is Jesus? And it's like, no, that's the wrong question to ask. You ask, who is Jesus? Because the Holy Spirit has uh, a personality. The Holy Spirit has a will. Uh, The Holy Spirit is not the force, like in Star Wars. He's the force, Luke. It's not, we could compare it to that, but it's not. The Holy Spirit is a person, has a personality. Holy Spirit is not a mystical cloud. If If you're taking notes next to who is the Holy Spirit, you want a quick answer? Put God. And in all honesty, that's the best answer. Who's the Holy Spirit? Well, it's a, it's a person of God. We believe in one God, but three persons. One of the persons is the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about the Trinity in just a minute. But uh, Holy Spirit has a will. The Holy Spirit, uh, or the Spirit of God, is talked about over 200 times in the Bible. And so did you know that you can pray to the Holy Spirit? Did you know that you can address your prayers? Dear Holy Spirit, I pray that you will uh, awaken my heart and mind. You could pray... Like, like we pray to Jesus. That's pretty common. We pray, we pray to Father God. Did you also know you could pray to the Holy Spirit? Yeah, you can. If you didn't, I mean, when I first realized that, I was like, huh, yeah, I guess you're right because the Holy Spirit is a person of God and so we can pray to him. He is God. Turn to Genesis chapter one, verse one. In my Bible, it's like page 30. I don't know what's going on before Genesis 1, 1, but uh, Genesis 1, 1 says, uh, it, it, talk, it talks about, I mean, th- this beginning statement of the Bible is huge. It sets up the whole book. In the beginning, God. That's a pretty cool way to begin, huh? In the beginning, God. Before there, and this goes back to the idea that, uh, it's a, an Aristotelian idea that Aristotle stole from the J- Judeo-Christian mindset that there is an uncreated creator, that before creation, there was a creator. There was before movement, there was a mover. There was an unmoved mover. Have you heard of that before? It's like an Aristotelian thing. He obviously just stole it from the Bible because uh, maybe, maybe he came up with the lingo. But that we believe that before anything was, God is. There wasn't a time when God didn't exist. And so it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God... There's that, there's that Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. So there the Holy Spirit is, right with God, right in the beginning. Verse 2 is talking about the Holy Spirit, that, that we have this, this being that um, we can't say, the whole, oh, God made the Holy Spirit to comfort us. No, the, the Holy Spirit is not a creation of God. The Holy Spirit is God. And we look at that verse, we see the Holy Spirit there. Uh, when the earth was still formless and void, there the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I'm going to take you down a sidetrack. Don't get too sidetracked, though. When I was in uh, California getting my master's degree from a Christian seminary, I, I went out there for one year to study. I wanted, to get, I wanted to get good grades, and I wanted to learn how to go surfing. Anybody else like surfing? Anywhere? Whoop, whoop. 
um, I, I just really wanted to, I, so I bought a surfboard. I bought a wetsuit before even try, trying it. I was just like, I'm ready to go. Somebody take me. And uh, I found a group of guys, actually a couple girls too, that would go every Saturday in, in the summer. They, they leave around 2 o'clock from Pasadena, California, where Fuller Seminary is. And we'd drive down to the beach. We'd surf all afternoon. And then the, in the evening, we'd light a fire and we'd play worship music and cook some hot dogs. And it was a pretty cool uh, Saturday for the, all, every summer. Uh, every Saturday during the summer. It's really cool. And it was just totally impromptu. It wasn't like an organized small group or anything like that. It was just people that loved hanging out and, and going surfing and worshiping God together. It was pretty cool. And the, the guy that kind of led the group, I mean, there wasn't an official leader, but we'd always kind of joke. We came up with the term alpha male. I don't know that we came up with it, but we just called Joel was his name. Joel, the alpha male. Joel, which beach should we go to? And he said, well, we're going to this beach today and because uh, he was the alpha male. And uh, he was the alpha male because, re- I mean, he was, a, he was a pretty good leader, but here he was in the midst of seminary students, other you know, leaders of leaders. And really, like thinking about it, he, I don't know that he was the best leader of the group, but he was the most passionate about surfing. He just loved it. He would go out and be, if he had to, go down and be by himself. So it was almost like, well, you want to join me as I go surfing? And what he uh, talked about was something a little far-fetched. And the first time I heard him say it, I was like, dude, that's got to be heresy. But uh, he said this. He said, um, you know why surfing is so important? You know why surfing is so important for our soul? And he made it, like, when he'd go surfing, he'd go out into the water. There'd be sets of waves, and there'd be, like, a lull in the sets. For those of you who surf, you know what I'm talking about. And you kind of, like, talk to the other surfers during that time. And he would witness to them, and he would, he would just go out there and kind of, like, in the in this midst of the lineup of surfers, he just raised his hands and to kind of look off to the sunset and be worshiping. And he, it was a spiritual experience for him to go surfing. It's pretty cool. And what he said was, you know why surfing is so important to, to the soul and, and finding who, who God is? He said, surfing so important because before the world was even formed, you know what God was doing? He was hovering over the surface of the deep. He was surfing, dude. <laughs> And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, that's what God was doing. So when we surf, we're like in tune with who God is and what he was doing before he created. I was like, dude, that's got to be heresy. And, but, and it's been like, I think it's been like uh, four or five years since then. I've, 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 I've learned some more about theology and still I have no theological response, a rebuttal to that's why surfing's so cool because the Holy Spirit was surfing before the formation of the world. All I could say is that's weird, but I don't really have any... Anyways, so you see the Holy Spirit here. The point of that little sidetrack was, was to see that image of the Holy Spirit, one with God, in the beginning, before the world was formed, Holy Spirit right there with God. And so I want to talk about the Trinity for just a second. I'm gonna, in a second, I'm going to give you a, a discussion question, which is, so you can start thinking about it now, get the wheels turning, is what's the best analogy for the Trinity you've ever heard? And we do, as Christians, we affirm, we fully say, yes, we believe in a God that is one, right? But he has three persons. We believe in one God with three persons. There's a mystery in that. And and there's so many scriptures that talk about, you know, there's the greeting, the Trinitarian greeting, blessings be in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's uh, uh, Matthew 28 talks about all authority has been given to me. Go baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus, you know, some of the best ways to understand the Trinity, in my opinion, is just to understand how Jesus is God. Because Jesus talked a lot about, I and the Father am one. Before Abraham was, I am. Uh, You 
let me tell you again, he says to Philip when he's talking to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know, there's clear verses throughout the New Testament and the Old, I believe, that, that God is triune. Three persons, but one God. So, discussion question really quickly. If you're at a table with peeps, uh, ask them what their, the best analogy for the Trinity that they've ever heard is. Or if you're by yourself, maybe just write one down. Like, this is the one that I think is the best. You, got, you understand analogy for the Trinity? Ready, get set, go! I'm going to give you like another minute. So if only one person's talked, let some other people talk. All right, uh, here's what we're going to do. I'm going um, to very quickly explain to you the Trinity. No big deal. That's why you come to Sunday school. Uh, and, then, and then after that, we're gonna, I'm, I want to hear from some of you. So not, not yet, but I, I want to hear from some of you the best analogy for the Trinity you've ever heard. And in some ways, um, there's two, like when someone says, explain the Trinity, they could be uh, just like joking, like, well, like, like that's impo- it's impossible to understand, like, oh, like we can understand the Trinity. And I think in some ways that's correct. We can't put God in a box and say, oh, here's God. We, just look at it. It's easy. It's easy to understand. Duh, it's God. We, he works just like this. You could do it just like that. It's like, no, it's not a, it's not just like a toy you can take apart. It's God himself. And so in some ways, you're right. We can't understand the Trinity. To, to fully explain the Trinity, the mystery of the three and the one is, is impossible, I believe, this side of heaven. Because uh, God is God. We're not. We're just his creation. But in the same sense, I, I do think it is important to understand what we do believe when it comes to the Trinity. When we talk to people of different religions, and they're like, aren't you guys tritheists? And we're like, whoa, no. We believe in one God, but three persons. And they're like, what? And we're like, yeah, it's, you know, we just believe it. 
so there. He's <laughs> like, no, we, we, could, we, could say, we could talk a little bit about what we believe. And so I want to uh, just quickly write on the board here uh, th- these two numbers, the oneness of God, um, the threeness, uh, the three persons. So I'm going to put one God, uh, and we believe that he has three persons. Um, and so how can both of these be true? The oneness and the threeness at the same time. Well, that in lies the mystery of the Trinity. How, there, how God can be one God, but with three persons that are distinct from each other at the same time. That is the mystery. So I'm not about to explain the mystery. What I'm about to explain are some parameters. Because if we, let, let's say we exaggerate. So we believe fully that God is three persons, he's one God. But if we exaggerate, and we're, and we're way over here, and I'm going to put, we believe in three without the one, then we would be tritheists. You know what a tritheist is, right? A triest is a, a tritheist, or just a polytheist, would be someone that believes in many gods. Hindus believe that, that there are many gods. Buddhists believe that there are many gods. Christians, do we believe that there are many gods? No, we believe in a God. So this is wrong. We can't just say, oh, God's three. All you, all you need to understand is God's three without the oneness. That, that's not what we, what we believe. And at the same time, uh, to give another parameter, if we were to exaggerate over here and we'd say God is one without the three, we would be something called, I'll put the term up here, modalists. We would be a modalist. Modalists, plural of modalism, is a type of belief that says God is one, a a type of trying to understand the Trinity. God is one without the three persons. And so, in all honesty, the, the Shack, the book that came out a little while ago, is sometimes accused of being a modalistic type of of presenting God in a modalistic way. I read the shack. I don't. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Um, but a, what a modalist would say is that uh, God is one, and He just appears. He has modes of appearance, and He'll appear as, as Jesus. He'll appear as the Holy Spirit, or He'll appear as God the Father. And that's not what we believe. We would say, no, those are distinct persons. And so we don't believe that God is just one without the three. We, we are not modalists. We are not tritheists. We believe that God is one and he's three persons at the same time. So the mystery of how those two could be true is, the, is, a, is a mystery of the Trinity. But if you ever explain the Trinity to somebody, I think, it's, I think it's about explaining parameters. We do believe in one God, not just one without any persons, but we, we, do, we, we do believe in uh, uh, three persons and one God at the same time, but not, we're not tritheists. And so if you explain those parameters, I think it's helpful to understand the Trinity. Do you agree? All right, so here's my theory. I have two theories. Theory number one, I've heard every good analogy of the trinity ever made and you're about to prove me wrong i'm sure but uh, that's one of my theories the other theory is is that every analogy of the trinity leans either to god's oneness or to his threeness without the other one let's play who wants to tell their best analogy for the trinity i didn't scare you that bad yes sir so we got one here and then one here got him Whoever gets there first. Okay, I think you got first. The Trinity is like a mullet. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> There's got like the, the medium hair and the front on top and the 
Short hair on the side and long hair in the back. Okay. But it's all the same mullet. Yeah. That, that is actually... <laughs> yeah. All right. He, he, he just, I've never heard that one. That's uh, first theory, a little wrong. Okay, so the mullet would be, I would say the mullet would be a little over here. The mullet. Because it's one hair style. There's not, like the back is, isn't a separate person, isn't a separate identity than the top. It may just be cut differently, right? So I would say it kind of leans over this way. But it's pretty good. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Well, the one I heard is it's like a, like a soda ball or something, like an open one. There's the cap. There's a little ring that's left after you snap it open in the bottle. Uh-huh. They're all separate pieces. So the soda to, can, so the top, the can, and the drink inside? The, uh, a soda bottle with, like, you know, when you snap the top, there's that little plastic ring on the top? Yeah, yeah. So, like, they're all separate pieces. You can call that a cap. You can call that the weird ring okay, thing. Yeah. You can call it a bottle. But altogether, it's a soda bottle. Altogether, it's a soda. It's soda. Right. Okay, I got it. So I would say that one is a good one, and I haven't heard that one either. So first, I just, I shouldn't have said my first theory because <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Uh, but that one, I would say, is over here. The soda bottle. Bot, T-T-L-E, L-E, one E. Dang it. Uh, the soda bottle would probably be over here because there's three distinct parts. There's the can, there's a plastic little nub, there's the piece that comes off. And so there's three separate things that come together. And we say, oh, that there is a bottle, but it has three dis- totally distinct things that aren't one. So... Let's do, let's do maybe two more. I see one there, and then one here, then there, and then there, there. We'll do four, maybe. Hopefully, quickly. Okay, go ahead. All right. I heard, um, I heard once that it can be described as um, you take a man, and he's a father, he's a grandfather, and he's also a brother. Yes. So um, he acts differently, or he responds yeah. differently in each of those yeah. situations. Yeah, do you hear that? So I could be uh, a father, I could be a son, and I could also be, if I had lots of kids, a grandfather. I act differently in different situations. And that one is the very example of, of modalism. Uh, that one says that there is only one, the, the one person, uh, but he acts three different ways, but he's only one person. That's like, like uh, the classic modalism example. So, yeah. Good, though. Thanks for sharing. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. What we came up with was the egg. Egg the shell. Egg, yes. I have heard that Egg one. yolk. Egg white. Yeah. Uh, that's just us. You can leave what you no, want. No, that's a good one. I, and I've heard that one before, and it's good because it is so common. And I would say the egg would kind of be over here as well because it's, oh, we could look at it and say, yeah, that's a egg. But the yolk is totally different than a shell, and the white stuff is, is very different than the yellow part or the shell. And so it's three different things composing. We could call that thing an egg, but they're, they're I don't know, it's not, the oneness isn't really there. But good example. I've heard that one before. Yes, Joel? I've, I've got one. Since I have the mic, I'm going to go ahead and... <laughs> Since I have the mic, you must listen yeah. to me. So, <laughs> well, I, I look at scripture and it says that God created man in his image. Yeah. And so I think we can find one of the greatest examples of the Trinity in like embodied in how mankind is made yeah because like i'm a physical being i'm a spiritual being and i'm also a being that has a mind will and emotions and that's all incorporated into one aspect of who i am and so like in a a sense you could almost draw parallels like between like christ is kind of like the physical representation of god and so that could almost be translated into my physical entity and then 
the Father would be like the mind, the will, and the emotions, mm-hmm. and then the Holy Spirit's like my spirit. Now, all those three things are very distinct aspects of who I am, but they're also, you can't really distinguish them. You can't really say that my spirit ends here and my mind starts here. It, it, they're, they're blended at the same time. Yeah, that's great. I put that one, I put that one on this side as well, because uh, the body, mind, soul, it's still, we're still one person. And in some ways, all of these analogies are really good. I think, I think is there one more? Is there already somebody already, ha- you already have a mic? Okay, we'll get Matthew the mic. Matthew will be the last one, and I'll, I'll make a point about the analogies in themselves. Okay, bear with me on this. Here we I go. I was hungry, so this one kind of came up. Um, I don't know how many of you guys have had that cheesecake that's, like, separated into all the different flavors. That's a good one. Okay, imagine one of those cheesecakes, except with only three slices. I mean... They're all cheesecake, but they all have different aspects to them. And without one of the slices, it wouldn't be a whole cheesecake. Mm. Mm, Suddenly, like, really hungry right now. Man, what's that cheesecake at? I think that one would be, because it's three slices, this one might come over here, depending on how you described it. Maybe if you said it was all mashed up, it'd be like one bowl of cheesecake, and it'd be over here. I'm not really sure. But either way... All these analogies, they're good analogies. Thank you so much for sharing them. Um, In some ways, God is like the soda bottle. But is God a soda bottle? No. In some ways, God is like the egg. But he's not an egg. In some ways, God is like the cheesecake, the three pieces, but it's all cheesecake. In some ways, God is the body, mind, soul of a human being. But he's not not his creation. God is God. And so... All, I think all analogies fall short at some point because we're using, and that's the point of analogies, using something simple to ex- explain something that is insanely complex, like God. No big deal, just explaining God. Um, and, so, and so all analogies fall short. But I think in understanding the analogies, you can understand the parameters of how we understand the Holy Spirit, how we understand the Trinity, Holy Spirit, uh, Son, and Father of God. Three persons and one God. Did that helpful... Was that helpful for you a little bit, the Trinity explanation? Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right. Let's talk, about, um, let's talk about the roles of the Holy Spirit. And, and just like the first question we asked, uh, who is the Holy Spirit, not what is the Holy Spirit? We're going to say, what are the roles of the Holy Spirit? That's the next point in your notes. And we're not asking the question, what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Because if we ask, what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? That, I think that's another bad question. Because it's like, well, God existed before the creation of the world. And to ask his purpose is a silly question. It's like, why do you exist? It's like, there was never a point in which he didn't exist. We could ask of ourselves, what's, what's our purpose on earth? What's the purpose of this book? What's the purpose of the table? What's the purpose of the tree? We could ask purpose questions because we believe in a designer. But... Does the designer need a purpose? The designer just is, right? So do you understand why it's a bad question to ask, what's the purpose of God? What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, good. Um, So we're going to ask, what's the role of the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit really is a distinct person of the Trinity, then how is he different as a person than... Uh, God the Father, God the Son. And there, there's, there, I'm going to go into this example of what Jesus said. So if you want, you could turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, uh, 16 actually, sorry about that. John chapter 16, Jesus is going to talk about uh, the counselor that is coming. And maybe you've, you've heard this verse before. But I remember my um, uh, youth pastor asking me a question one time. If, 
If you're, uh, if you're turning, you could turn to John 16 and verse 7 and just put your finger there for a second. But my youth pastor, uh, I was a Christian probably a year, and my youth pastor was just asking me all these really good questions. And he was kind of always stumping me and making me think differently about faith and who God was. And he asked me the question, Joe, what do you think would be better if Jesus was still alive, like he never died, like he was still on earth performing miracles as a human being, or that the Holy Spirit is here on earth? And I was like, hmm, that's a good question. And I thought about it for a minute, and I was like, uh, the answer is usually Jesus, so I'm going to go with Jesus. And he was like, no, that's not the correct answer. And I was like, man, why not? And in my mind, I thought, well, be, you know, if, if Jesus was uh, alive as a human, like he was in like 30 AD-ish, then, you know, we could go you know, to Israel and see him do miracles and be like, man, this guy's really old. He's still doing miracles. That's awesome. He must, he must really be the Christ. And my youth pastor was like, well, those, like, Jesus isn't a magician. Like, we're not going to see him perform tricks so that he could prove himself to us. But he said the Holy Spirit is better than Jesus on the earth uh, because he lives in each and every single one of us. And I was like, Okay. And then he read this verse, and it made a lot of sense to me. It's John 16, starting in verse 7, which says, it says this, But I tell you the truth. So this is Jesus talking. Red letters. It is good, for, it is good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, and we're going to talk about that word in a minute, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, who's what he's going to get to. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. Jesus says, But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment in regard regard to sin because men do not believe in me in regard to righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer and in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So the first part of that is what I wanted you to to pay attention. Um, I tell you the truth, it is good that I'm going away. Uh, If I go away, the counselor, if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him to you. So we get the counselor. When when Jesus goes away, he sends back the counselor. And I did a a word study. Has anybody ever done, if you've been reading your Bible, you know that the Bible wasn't originally written in English. It was written the New Testament, Greek, the Old Testament, uh, almost all Hebrew, the Aramaic, a couple passages. And so to, to, to understand deeper, if you really get into Bible studies, and, and I have a study Bible, and sometimes it gives me what the Greek word is and some of the definitions of that Greek word, because there's obviously not a one-for-one equation of the Greek words into English words. Um, I did a word study on the word counselor. Has anybody ever done a word study in the Bible before? It's pretty fun. Like, nerds love that kind of stuff. Bible nerds, just like, man, I love word studies. They get really excited. In fact, I got, when I just became a doctor a couple weeks ago, and my wife's uh, mom and dad, my parents-in-law, gave me like this 10-volume set, the TDNT, Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. And I've been reading it like every day because it's awesome. And uh, what it has is that word counselor, the Greek word for counselor, and it's got 14 pages about that word, like where it comes from, how that word was used back then, and all kinds of goodies like that. And I just love that stuff. And, and so I looked into the word, the counselor, uh, the counselor, that word in Greek, and found that the word is, maybe some of you know it, starts with a P, ends with a cleat. Anybody? No? Paraclete? Have you heard that before? Paraclete? Maybe, maybe some of you have heard it before, doing word studies or in commentaries or something. The word paraclete uh, means 
someone who is a uh, someone who intercedes on our behalf, someone who comforts, someone who advocates, and it is very specific to law, like a law case, like your lawyer would be a, kind of a one for one equation of counselor, someone who is your lawyer. Now, I don't know about you, but I know. Personally, like the idea of a lawyer, we we'd make jokes about lawyers, and there's so many lawyers, and everybody's suing everybody over everything these days. And I found I heard a statistic that the United States, um, while awesome and big and cool and huge, is and I always think it's like, oh, it must be, we must be like 75 percent of the world. We're only like four percent of the world's population. Kind of puts things in perspective. We're like, man, Fourth of July, the whole world must be celebrating. Nah. Four percent, maybe, are celebrating. Um, And and so, the United States is four percent of the world's population. We have over half the amount of lawyers of the world. It's a lot of lawyers for the four percent. There's just a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people suing each other for no reason. Someday I'm going to come in here, I'm going to be like mad at Sunday school, and I'm going to like pour coffee all over myself and sue. (laughs) Like I got burnt. (laughs) We'll see what happens. Not to give you any ideas. So, my point being, we kind of have this idea, oh, a lawyer is kind of a bad thing. They, they're, they, I don't know. Um, but if you were being accused of a crime, and, and maybe you didn't commit the crime. Police arrive at your house late at night. They take you out of bed. They, they put you in a cop car. And you're like, you're being charged for the murder of so-and-so. And you're like, I don't even know so-and-so. And they haul you off to jail, and you sit there, and you're waiting to speak to your lawyer. When that lawyer gets there, are you happy to see them? Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, man, well, help me out. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I, 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 don't, I just got woken up in the middle of the night. I'm in the, I'm in the cop car. Now I'm in a jail. I didn't kill this person. Help me out. What, what in the world's going on? And your lawyer helps you out. And so this same word, paraclete, is used by Jesus. He says, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send you a paraclete. I'm going to send you a lawyer, your lawyer, a comforter, uh, an advocate, one who's going to resent represent you on behalf of of god and um and the holy spirit doesn't just represent us like chilling next to us representing us but he also lives inside of us look at uh turn back a few pages to john chapter 14 starting in verse 15 and it says this john chapter 14 verse 15 uh, starting right there, says, If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. That's that same word, paraclete, being used again. To be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives in you and will be with you. Did you hear that? Where's the Holy Spirit at? Everybody point to yourself. He's in you. That's pretty cool. He, he lives in you. He will be with you and in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And this is a distinction. This New Testament distinction of the Holy Spirit living inside of us is distinct from the Old Testament. The old way of being is that uh, the Holy Spirit would come upon people like Samson. Samson would like, you know, have feats of strength or he'd come upon people and people would know something or prophesy. But then we have clear examples in the Old Testament of the Holy Spirit departing after that the Holy Spirit would come on and then depart. Well, Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans uh, for he is going to be with you. He's going to be in you. And that's pretty cool. That's a word to us. It says the Holy Spirit is, is not only with us, but he's in us. He lives inside of us. And some other roles of the Holy Spirit, if you're taking notes, um, 
Acts 1.8 talks about how you, we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. So a role of the Holy Spirit is to give power, to dwell with us, to, uh, to advocate for us, to help us, to counsel us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.15 uh, talks about how the Holy Spirit will give us understanding. Um, and, and the Holy Spirit's role is, is also these gifts. You know that the word charisma, you know what that word means in Greek? It means gift. And so the charismatics believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And next week, we are, we're going to jump right into the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit. Gifts of prophecy and tongues and why charismatics believe what they do um, concerning now because of what the Bible has written. Um, and so we're going to talk about that next week. But um, I can tell you this. I, I speak in tongues. I have spoken over people, like said things to people, and they've received it as prophecy. They've said, man, Joe, you... You, know, you said that, and it, it kind of came true, and it was something that you couldn't have known on your own. I think you prophesied over me, and I was like, wow, cool. So I've experienced tongues and, and prophecy. I've had people tell me things uh, that they couldn't have known. It's like, oh, that's prophetic. That's a word like it was coming from God and encouraged me and helped me. And so I've experienced prophecy. I've experienced times where I've prayed for people um, for, the, for like a backache or a headache, and they've said after the prayer, oh, no, my back feels better now. Thank, thank God that my back feels better. It's like, yeah, praise him. And so I've, I've seen, you know, someone could say, I, I saw a miracle. I, I've seen uh, the gifts of prophecy and tongues. And, and out of all those things, those things are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Nothing in my life compares to the, the conviction of sin and righteousness in my life. The fruit of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Like, like I talked about as I read uh, that passage in John. John chapter 16 says that, John chapter 16, 8 says, When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness. So not just, the Holy Spirit doesn't come just to point out all our sins, like you messed up here, you messed up there. But he also comes to convict of righteousness. Holy Spirit comes to remind us, that was, that was good. When you did that and you helped that person, that was good. You should feel good because that's a good thing and God is good. I remember when I first became a Christian, uh, I became a Christian in high school and uh, I, my testimony isn't one of, man, I was doing really bad stuff and I came into light. Um, I've, when I was early on in my Christian walk, I always kind of thought it was so cool when people had like really cool testimonies. Anyone like me, like get jealous of other people's testimonies? Like, man, that, that guy was a drug dealer and a pimp and he was, uh, he was really bad and then Christ saved his life and now he's really good. But man, he was a drug dealer and a pimp. That's so cool. But now he's, uh, God saved him from that. And I, I'd kind of get jealous of other people's testimonies. Now that I'm a little older in the faith, I realize God spared me from a lot. And like now I don't have temptations to do drugs. I never did drugs, um, etc. cetera. Um, but my own testimony, if I look at my life, is that I was before being saved, I was not, I didn't feel the same conviction of sin that I felt before I was saved. And maybe you felt this way before uh, you were saved as well. That before I was saved, I, I got, I would get in arguments with my family and I had a little brother, I'd fight with him. And I, I'd never, I'd never really feel bad after, you know, like maybe yelling at my mom or swearing or, you know, name calling. I just wouldn't feel bad. I'd feel, I'd, I would think in my head, oh, I just said what I needed to say or I did what needed to be done. And I didn't really have a conviction until I became a Christian in high school. I accepted Jesus. And, you know, there's that idea that the Holy Spirit came and dwelled in me. And that verse that says, he will convict of sin and righteousness. And my conviction of sin was huge after I got saved. I, 
I remember the first argument I had with my mom after, after getting saved in high school. I can't remember what it was about. I remember yelling and, and I, probably, I probably maybe swore. I don't, I don't remember. But I remember minutes after that conversation, I went away to my room and something for the first time after an argument like that, I felt, man, I need to, I need to go apologize. I'm, I shouldn't have done that. And so I walked back into the kitchen and I said, mom, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I, I love you. I shouldn't have said those things. And she just looked at me like, are you, are you kidding? Are you, are you about to make fun of me some more? It was just so foreign to like who I was. I didn't ask for, I didn't say I was sorry for things. And, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm really sorry. I didn't, mean, I didn't mean it. I love you. And she was just, wow. We, and we both cried. And it was this experience of the, the Holy Spirit convicting me of sin. Did anybody else feel that? Maybe after they got saved, this, this brand new conviction of sin. And, and not just that, not just, oh man, I'm an idiot, I keep messing up and all this conviction, but also a conviction of righteousness and God showing you that you are righteous through the Holy Spirit. Because I also remember um, in just being, my personality before I got saved was very, very, um, I was very shy. I was the kid that, you know, just kind of ate lunch by himself, um, always really ate lunch by myself and always worried like, What's everybody else thinking about? What are they thinking? Well, that group over there is laughing. Could they be laughing at me? And I just very introverted, like thoughts of destruction in my own head that that everyone's out to get me or to make fun of me. And so I better just keep to myself and, you know, kind of push people away. And after I got saved, I realized that God, that I, who I was in God, I realized I'm a son of God. I'm, I'm righteous because he has made me righteous and, and he loves me. And it's, I'm, I'm God's child. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not just Joe, I'm Joe, God's son. And that's pretty cool. And so the Holy Spirit convicted me of righteousness. And so today's a Sunday school lesson to, to frame it for, before next week and the week after when we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have to talk about who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit given upon Jesus' ascension that, that he, would, he would send someone else, the Holy, the Holy Spirit, the counselor, to be with us, to dwell with us forever and live with us. That's who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is one who convicts of sin and righteousness. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. He is the counselor. And so um, with that being said, we'll, we'll, we'll come next week and we'll talk about the gifts, the charisma, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But um, know who the Holy Spirit is, not what the Holy Spirit is, but who he is. Let's pray to him. Holy Spirit, we do thank you right now. Fathers, we are reminded, Jesus, as you come and saved us from, from death, we are reminded of, of you right now, the Holy Spirit, how you do work inside of us. Holy Spirit, come and fill us up. Fill us with your work. Fill us with your personality. Comfort us, Holy Spirit. Guide us. Protect us, Holy Spirit. We love you so much. We know that you're inside of us. We welcome you to be inside of us, Holy Spirit. And so we leave here rejoicing because you convict us of sin. You convict us of the righteousness that is inside of us because you've put it there. You are a good God and you have made us righteous. So we love you so much, Holy Spirit. We praise you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. Peace out. See you next week.